Who is our God? He is the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the Holy One, Yahweh. He is a miracle-working God. Rumors of this man spread throughout the land. People of every background heard the stories. Some traveled from afar, desperate to encounter his power and be transformed by his compassion. He is a miracle-working God. The one who fed the 5,000, the one who heals the sick, the one who brings the dead to life, the deliverer, the protector, and provider. He is a miracle-working God. Miracles are what he does. They are who he is. Miracles are his nature. Amen. Well, like Jimmy said, my name is Carl, and I'd like to start by asking you a question that I was asked about a year ago that really messed with me, and I'm hoping it'll mess with you a little bit too. And uh, I was sitting with my good friend Bill, and he's out in California, and he shared about a philosopher and an author named Dallas Willard who had personally discipled him for 15 years. He said, Carl, one day I was sitting at lunch with Dallas, and Dallas asked me this question, and the question was, if you only had one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? Now, there's no right answer to this, right? But if you're sitting with a lifelong Christian philosopher, you don't want to shank that one. So he could feel the pressure, and then he looked at me, and he said, Carl, how would you answer that question? And I, and I, and I paused for a minute, and I just thought, you know... <laughs> You ever get that feeling that no matter what answer you say, it's going to be wrong? You know, so do I even want to go there? So I thought I would just throw that pressure back onto you. If you could answer that question and think about it, what one word would you use to describe Jesus? Just think about it for a second. Just maybe put it in your phone or, you know, pause for a minute. A lot of words, huh? We're going to come back to this in just a moment, so hold on to whatever your word is or keep thinking. Uh, because we've been in a series called The Names and the Nature of God, and we've been reading this, uh, this statement every week as a banner over our series, and I'd love for you to read this with me right now. One, two, three. Miracles in the Bible and in daily life reveal the awesome name and nature of God. He does miracles to show us who He is and how much He cares. When we read or experience the miraculous work of God, we will respond with increased faith and sincere worship. So why has this series been important? Here's what I think. I think it's important because most people in this room are followers of Jesus. You're following God. You might even know a whole lot about God. But just because we know a lot about God here does not mean we experience him in our daily life here. And so as a result, we, we may have passed, heard a lot of sermons, we may have uh, known a lot of different stuff from our past, but then when it's tested, those times where it gets a little tough, it's hard to operationalize that, that revelation that God has. And this series has been taking it from here to here for, for us. And there's actually a man in scripture by the name of Gideon who he went through that same kind of bout. Um, if you know the story of Gideon, he was an Israelite, which means he grew up in the ways of God. He was, uh, you know, in his youth group, went on mission trips. He was a member of his local church. He would have had it all down. Now, like us, Gideon had an enemy. Unlike us, Gideon's enemy would actually come steal their food, terrorize their village, and then would rob them of their confidence with God. So much so that when we find Gideon, he's doing his agricultural work. He's working down in a basement and, uh, to hide, okay? And he's showing us, I know a lot about God here, but fear is 
pushing him down here, okay? Last week, if you were here, Jimmy shared about Jehovah Nisi, and you might have just felt like, yes, God is our, our refuge. He's our banner. He's our, our conqueror. And then this week, you might have got, felt like, and yes, I am the conquered. I kept getting conquered. Like I felt it on Sunday, lost it on Monday, so I'm going back again to get some more, okay? That, that's a pretty common uh, tale that we all feel, okay? Because what you're actually feeling is, how do I get this emotional tension that I've got and experience God at this uh, soul level, okay? So if you don't, if you're not, if you didn't know, basically Gideon, he has this visitor come show up. Now we know it's an angel of the Lord, but the text seems to reveal that Gideon's not so clear about who this is. It's talking to him. And the visitor angel shows up and says, you're a mighty warrior and you're going to defeat these enemies. And basically Gideon's like, no, I'm a nobody from nowhere. I don't think that's going to happen. But if you do think it's going to happen, why don't you show me a sign and I'll go make you dinner. Okay. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 20. He's going to go make dinner and give the guy some time to create a sign. Verse 20 says, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. You got to love this next part. Then Gideon perceived it was an angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, help me, Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Don't fear. You're not going to die. Okay. His, his church background is telling him, you see God face to face, you die. All right. Then Gideon gets to pick one word to describe God. And he's going to make this altar and, and he's going to describe God in one word. Now, if I was Gideon, I would pick God, my encourager, because he called me mighty warrior. I might say, God, my conqueror, because I'm like about to go defeat an enemy. Or thank you, God, for not assassinating me, whatever, word that, whatever Jehovah word that is. But in verse 24, it says this, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it what? Jehovah Shalom. We know Shalom is what? Peace, that's right. And actually, as I said a couple weeks ago, when Jews greet each other, they often say shalom, or they'll sign their emails, shalom to you when they depart. And this is peace, but it's more than that. It's, it's wholeness. It's like when all the gears on a safe or a vault, when the code is clicked and they're all clicking and then all of a sudden click, it's ready to open. And your mind, your will, your spirit, your body, everything is in full alignment with fullness of health and life and wholeness and peace. That's shalom. So they greet each other, shalom, shalom. They're just constantly reminding you of the wholeness that God has for you, okay? But I want you to notice one thing about what you just read there with Gideon. He did not say, I got peace from God. If you read the verse as it's actually written probably in your Bible because you don't probably have a Hebrew Bible. If you do, that's cool, but most of us don't. Verse 24 again, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it still stands. So he didn't say, I got peace from God. He said, I got God and God is peace. So the sense of safety, the sense of rest, he's able to attain. It is not a feeling that was given to him. It was a person that he attached to. And that's what we're stepping into today because this is gonna lead me back to my previous question. What was your one word to describe Jesus? Just yell it out, somebody yell it out. Okay, I love that all y'all said love because when Bill said, Carl, what's your word? I thought, I'm gonna just choose the Christian cheat word. It's never wrong. And so I said love. 
And he laughed and he said, that's a great word. Again, no wrong answers. He said, but when Dallas told me his answer, here's the word he gave. What do you think about that? Now, had it not been Dallas Willard, I'd have been just dismissive immediately for two reasons. Number one, I am the opposite of relaxed, which means me and Jesus could not be further apart if that's the case. And number two, stories of the gospel started like pouring through my head. Like he wept at Lazarus's death. He, he like ran people out of a temple one time. He prayed so hard, sweats of blood are like coming out of his forehead. That doesn't sound real relaxed. But I was intrigued. I start digging. And as I'm digging, I started to discover how at ease Jesus was throughout his ministry. Here's some examples from scripture. When it's time to launch his public ministry, Jesus is unhurried and doesn't launch out there. He actually goes to the desert for 40 days. His family comes to him soon after to rebuke him for all this ministry he's doing. And he doesn't react and marry their emotions. He just calmly sets a boundary. He's in a small boat at sea. He's caught in a life-threatening storm. The disciples are panicking. Jesus is what? Napping. I started to notice how many times Jesus was interrupted in his ministry. C.S. Lewis once said, how you respond to an interruption reveals who you truly are, which is why I hate C.S. Lewis. (laughs) My wife will tell you this is my biggest weakness is what I do when I'm interrupted, okay? But when crowds interrupted Jesus on his retreat, he just turned around and calmly fed all of them. He sees loan sharks tearing, you know, turning his father's house into a marketplace and taking advantage of the poor. He didn't just react, actually. The scripture says he sat down and weaved a rope, weaved a, rip, a, a whip, and then he took care of business. When re- religious scholars ganged up on him and they would try to throw him into these tough situations with trick questions, he would just stop, maybe bend down right in the dirt, ask a question, and change the entire atmosphere. So all my contrarian friends out there may be going, now hold up. I mean, Jesus experienced some things that were very unrelaxed, like pain and anguish and fear and grief and all kinds of, you know, things that work against being relaxed. And you would be right. I didn't say he didn't experience those things. What I'm noticing is that Jesus was able to attune to God's presence in that moment. And then he would come and give that calm presence himself wherever he was. Now, you don't have to believe that that's the one word of how to describe Jesus. That was just one man's opinion and to get us started. So you don't have to believe that. But still, when I read it, I couldn't deny the fact that Jesus was relaxed under pressure, okay? So you might just all just be like, "Ah, don't y'all feel peaceful? Not me, okay? Because I'm the kind of person that when I know I'm supposed to be not stressed and anxious, it makes me stressed and anxious not to be stressed and anxious, all right? So, so then, you know, I, I, I don't know if you all here a few weeks ago. Vincent said that everybody got to pick, his family would pick one word to describe him. Do y'all remember what it was? Chill. Do you know how many people on planet Earth have ever used that word to describe me? This many people have used it, ever used that word. You know how I can tell? You can tell by whatever books people tell you you ought to read. I have been given the ruthless elimination of hurry 12 times. <laughs> you might love that book, Ruthless Elimination Hurry. It's a great book. But like Gideon, I kind of perceived, I think I might be a hurry freak. One of those is my wife. Me and my wife could not be more different in our demeanor. Let's take traffic. 
We come to a red light. There's 46 cars in line one. There's one car in line two. Blair is content to be car 47. <laughs> Sit there and miss the green light and she's just listening to her true crime podcast, okay? And I'm sitting there going, oh God, if we could just get there, we'd be lane two, we'd hit the green light, hit that one, be home 48 seconds quicker. I, it just drives me bananas, okay? So Blair brings me this red book and says, you ought to read this book. This guy goes and stands in the longest line at the grocery store just to practice patience. And I said, that's because he's a psycho. <laughs> so I didn't read the book for a long time. So you can tell my MO is a little on the faster side, okay? So again, you go to Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything. Really, Paul? And I would think, Paul, it's obvious you had no children. <laughs> it's definitely obvious you didn't have kids after the age of 18. Like I told my, I told my daughter, that she's 22 years old. I said, all the parenting books stop at age 18. Like we figured that out and we're done now. Like the stakes go up dramatically after that. Where's that book, Paul? That's what I need, okay? So then I go, don't be anxious about anything and start getting stressed and anxious about not being stressed out about anything. So, you know, on top of all that, you know, I'm an efficient person and you would think with everything we got going on in our life to help us be more efficient, we'd be more peaceful. But the World Health Organization just came out and said that stress and anxiety in our world right now, despite how efficiency we are, is now the epidemic of the 21st century. So I was going back to Judges 6, I was looking for some help, and I actually, you know when you, if you're a Bible reader, your eyes go to that thing you've always read? And I kind of missed what had been stated right before the call of Gideon. In verse 7, it said, when the Israelites cried to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. And brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. And from the hand of all who oppressed you. And drove them out before you. And gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not pay reverence to the gods of the Amorites. In whose land you live. But you have not given heed to my voice. I love this. It's like they were getting a names and nature of God series straight from a prophet of God in that moment. And God was saying, here's who I am. And here's how I want you to experience me when stress comes at you. And when the business deal is sinking. And when there's stress in your relationships. And when there's tragedy in your life. I want you to not do what the people of Judges did when they would attune to their surroundings. I want you to attune to the presence of God, to me. So during my sabbatical... I was thinking about all this stuff, and I, I, came over, uh, I came across a work by the late Jewish rabbi and therapist. His name is Edwin Friedman. He wrote an amazing book called Failure of Nerve. Maybe some of you have read it. His premise is that our culture today is built on the myth of progress. Basically, what, he's, what he said is that we all in our kind of subconscious are convinced there's this utopia out there. And we're going for it. A life in our marriage with no problems. A life with our kids and no problems. A life at our work and no problems. We don't realize we're striving for this, but we are. And Friedman said, here's the deal. When you look just purely at the data, right now we actually have more money than we have in the past. We have more resources than we have in the past. Our technology is getting better. Everything seems to be going on an incline. But again, purely at the data, he said, our emotional state and our relationships are in a decline. So this is not equaling that. And so he studied what are the components that are leading to this. And he, he had 
several, and I'm going to simplify them. And he didn't make this a cycle, but I begin to read this and see this is basically a vicious cycle that's causing anxiety in our world. Here was what he said. He said, first, he noticed in a, if he sat with a family or a church, he would notice the tendency to react, meaning tensions would arise and everyone starts re- reacting emotionally instead of responding to God and his wisdom. This leads to blaming. I can't find peace because of what everybody else is doing. They get their act in gear, I'd be a lot better off. It's not my fault, though. The blame rests somewhere else. But now I'm all stirred up, and I need something to make me feel better. And that leads to a quick fix. So this internal anxiety is kind of going off, and we're looking for just something quick. You know, another Amazon Prime purchase, just another season of Netflix that I'm going to binge today. All right? Or it could get a lot darker. But Friedman said, this search for a silver bullet to fix our soul is actually causing a terrible side effect. We're losing resiliency, endurance, perseverance, which leads us to not be able to differentiate. Differentiation, if you're just kind of a big fancy psychological word for this is me, that's you. You have your emotion, I have my emotion. And your emotion doesn't have to affect my emotion. Your emotion doesn't have to infect my emotion. All right? If you're a parent of a teenager, you felt this, like you're, you're escalating with them, and then it dawns on you, shoot, one of us is supposed to be an adult here. And it dawns on you, crud, that's me. Right? You were not differentiating, you were marrying them. All right? Now, look, just, this is the way things go, right? Because most of us, we wake up, and what's the first thing we look at? Our phone. And we've got a 24-7 news stream of all kinds of things that can make us mad, or ads that can tempt us, or a text that can just make your heart beat faster. So now you start blaming them for the way that they're messing up your life. And then we got to do something to kind of distract us. So we go to social media and we don't even realize we are tuning to our environment instead of the presence of God. But Friedman said there was a way to break this cycle. He would sit with families and here's what he would do. He said, if you can sit in this cycle and insert what he called a non-anxious presence. I love that phrase, a non-anxious presence into that family or church or organization, he said he would sit there and he would just look, who's the one in this circle who's, you know, ha- is not just reacting, they can differentiate from others, they, they were calm, they can set boundaries, they would walk in wisdom and peace, and he would build an entire family dysfunction, he'd build everything around that one. And he said, I started to notice success over and over and over again, because a non-anxious presence could bring healing in the entire house. Now, his work is, is several decades old now. But anybody else agree with me? Our society could not be more in need of a non-anxious presence than right now. And I believe God's gifted the Jesus followers of today to be able to look into our future and say, it's probably gonna get darker. And it's probably gonna get harder. And instead of being panicked or instead of being paralyzed by fear, we could just say, we want to attune to you, God, and then be a non-anxious presence at our lunch table, in our workplace in our government, in our relationships, in our family, in our churches. Now, let's say I stop the sermon right now. Bye. You gotta go do that. What would you do? You'd be anxious? Yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, I tell you what I did when I got this, I got really excited. I'm like, I'm gonna do this. So I went out and I tried really, really hard to be peaceful. You wanna know how long that lasted? Till about my second problem, all right? Point number one, you cannot generate peace by willpower. Everybody put that in the I, say it with me. 
I cannot generate peace by willpower. This is key. Because oftentimes we have this little misnomer about church. Maybe it looks a little bit like a math equation. You come, I'll give you information. You marry that to your willpower, and then you get peace. It looks like a math equation almost. This plus that equals that. But here's the deal. We do need peace. I mean, we do need information. It's vital. We do need uh, willpower in our life. We need resilience. But that is not sufficient. That will not give us the peace in and of itself. John 15, verse 4 and 5 says this. It says, abide or dwell in me and I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Which means you're not capable of getting more peaceful just because Carl preaches on it. Unless you abide in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. A.K.A. Carl, you can leave today and you can leave church. You can go act more peaceful. You can smile more. You can speak softly. You can go buy a bumper sticker that says, let go and let God. And that will do nothing for you below the system. Maybe nicer person, but it, I can act more peaceful. I can't become more peaceful. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I'm not going to tap into that shalom and, unless I, it is a byproduct of me being with shalom. And I want you to understand this because if not, there'll be a war of personalities right now. And those of us who are high energy are like, well, we're sunk. And those of us that have a more calm demeanor, we're like, well, I wish we were you and just car 47 back at the back of the line and happy as can be. But my calm friends on the outside will tell you just because they're calm on the outside doesn't mean there's not a gerbil wheel going on on the inside about everything <laughs> that's happening and the phone's going off right now and they're realizing they're in charge of lunch and they forgot. And all of a sudden, we all realize this is not personality. This is something that must be encountered by God to have experience with him and revelation of him so we can be a non-anxious presence that affects those different places. I know we all want that. The problem is we live in a really anxious world. And I'm really grateful for my friend Bill. His name is Bill Galtier. He wrote this book, Your Best Life in Jesus's Easy Yoke. This book has really begun to shape me this last year. You might want to go grab it yourself. And I love how he reframes Philippians 4. As a psychologist, he, he makes it clear that Paul, many of us think Paul's yelling at us and saying, if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't have anxiety. If you really love God, you wouldn't know what to do with those stresses and you wouldn't let it weight you down. But we know from scripture, Paul had some stresses. Like we're like, I feel so beaten up this week. Paul got beaten up. I just feel like I'm drowning. He was on a shipwreck, stranded in the ocean, okay? So he had a lot of stress but we kind of missed the next part of that. Don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer, Paul's being a master psychologist and a spiritual guide. When he says, but by prayer, he's saying, but turn to God. Pause and just in, a, in your moment in right now and just attune your heart to God. Even do that right now. Just say something to yourself. Just, God, I need you right now. I need you right now. It's just these constant, short, little moments I live here, God, but you're my home. And he's encouraging you before you go to the job interview, God, I just need you right now. Before I discipline this child, God, I need you right now. Before I put my credit card in this gas pump and it's gonna be a lot, Lord, just need you right now, right? Right as I'm dealing with this pain, God, I need you right now. 
And the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I think this is key because Paul's not, Paul's not saying that if you have shalom, you'll just walk out of here with some soft, mushy feeling. Actually, Colossians 3, that, when he writes that, he's not talking about soft and mushy. Look what he says. And let the peace of Christ, what? Rule. Rule is a powerful word. Like, Baylor ruled the Big 12. We stopped that guy at the goal line. We won the Big 12. 12. We conquered. They did not have a kumbaya moment out there at the goal line. They conquered at the goal line. So peace is this kind of conqueror. And it's interesting to me that Gideon names him Jehovah Shalom. His first assignment then is to go tear down the village idol. Not a peaceful thing. He's scared. He does it at night. But the idol comes down, and they basically name, re-give him a, little, a new name, a nickname that is basically like idol smasher, someone who goes to war with Baal. Now, we don't have a lot of idols around here, hopefully, but the truth of the matter is we do have addictions and these little things in our life that just offer us a little bit of relief here and there. And we can, we can go to those over and over again, hoping for a soft, mushy feeling, and we don't need a soft, mushy feeling. We need a Jehovah Shalom who can come and give us something below the soul line level down here and change us from the inside out. So the miracle that you're looking at today is the fact that you need peace and you can't change yourself to get it. And you serve a God who's bent on making sure you do. So instead of giving you a few tips for the remainder of my time, I'd actually like to make this service more of an experiential one. So if you have something in your, in your, hands or whatever, just put it on the, on the ground. If you've got your phone, set it to the side. My uh, friend James is going to come back out. He's going to play for the rest of this time, and we're going to do this together because, again, from this point out, if I give you information and marry it with your willpower, that lasts until your fight in the parking lot, all right? What I'm praying is that we'll have an experience together that will give you a revelation of who God is, and that you can take with you wherever you go, okay? So we're going to find this pra- these two practices in the Uh, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 46, verse 10. Maybe you know it. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How many of you know that verse? Yeah, a lot of Gideons in here. We got a lot, a lot of people know that, right? This is a life verse for me. When I got into ministry, man, I loved this verse. So much so, it's what I would use to sign my name at the end of a letter or an email. I would write Psalm 4610, Carl. Then I had some teenagers say, what does that say anyway? And I was like, well, look it up. He's like, I'm not gonna look it up. So I was like, I gotta spell it out. And I made a pretty big blunder. From that point out, I started sending out hundreds of letters that look like this. Be still and know that I am God, Carl. I'm not joking, you can ask my wife, hundreds of letters. Got a few calls from some parents that were a little concerned. Carl thought he'd reached divine status. Now, when I look back at that, I, I, obviously I didn't think I was the Messiah. But if I'm really honest, I carry more of a Messiah complex than I'd prefer to admit. Maybe it's me being a one on the Enneagram, I don't know. But part of it's because I'd go to God in the morning, meet with Jesus, pour my heart out, read his word, give him everything. And I'd stand up and it's almost like I'd put a backpack of responsibility on me. Like, okay, I gotta go get this breakthrough and help this family and crank on this sermon. And I didn't mean to, I didn't know I was doing it, but just, it just weighed on me a lot. And I would just think, if this is gonna happen, it's gonna be me. And there's truth to that, right? We need to pay the bills and raise the kids and someone needs to take responsibility. 
but it was such a heavy weight. I, I like to describe it like I was a bowler. I'd say, God, today's all about you. I surrender to you and I'd throw the ball. And then I'd do what all of us do when we're bowling. What do we do? That way, that way, that way, that way. You know, we kind of coach the ball where it should go as if the ball's looking back going, which way, which, which over here? I mean, it does nothing. But I held that so tight. So what I want you to do is I want you to hold your hands out and I want you to think, what's one thing that's stressing you out right now? Maybe it's something anxious, making you anxious right now, more recent, family member, a situation, a grief that you're carrying, you just can't seem to shake or something about yourself you just wish you could change. Just hold on to it. Because to be that non-anxious presence, we're going to go look at Psalm 4610 again. Because what's interesting is, at this point, David says, ready, set, slow. Be still. Now, this is hard. It's why I love this verse. It's why I hate this verse. Because stillness isn't come easy to me. But David's not calling for just physical stillness. It's a stillness down in your soul. So if you're switching schools right now, switching cities, switching jobs, lost a family member, lost your job, the itch is to try to get back in control. And David goes, no, no, no. Remember, be still and know that he is God and you are not. Stillness reminds us we're not in control. I love what this author, Robert Mulholland said, He said, a deep inner posture of joyful release of our life and being to God in absolute trust, without demands, without conditions, without reservations. It's neither a passive resignation nor a fatalistic acquiescence to whatever comes. It's rather a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God so that God's presence, his purpose, and his power can be released through our lives and into all situations. You still holding that thing in your hands? Ignatius of Loyola was a priest in the 16th century. He called the practice we're doing right now indifference. Not, I don't care. I'll just lose all desire. That way I'll never get hurt. Not that. But it was inner freedom at an emotional level from the drive. I have to make my life go a certain way to be content and happy. So I'll be diligent and I'll be intentional, but I'm going to remove the bowler's curse. Because listen, guys, there's two ways we can all get rid of anxiety. One is we can just not have any more problems. Not gonna happen. Two, we can come to a place where we're actually okay with these problems. Not again, not being passive. And we can be really raw with God about how our emotions are feeling these things. But come to a place where we're okay with Jesus and what comes, comes. Let me read this verse over you because I think this is maybe what we're talking about in John 16. Jesus said, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world meaning you are gonna have stress. I, I can't give you anything this week to stop your stress or to say, here's a way to avoid anxiety. But you can practice indifference where you are faced with that thing that's in your hand and you just reorient your heart back to God and you say, God, I'm going to abandon this outcome to you. I'm gonna let go of the ball and let you decide where it goes. So if you're holding it tightly in your hands, 
Just turn your palms over and release them and say, I abandon the outcome to you. And just, you don't have to do it just multiple times. You're just holding your hands there. Be still. Lord, I don't have enough money right now. And then turn them back over. I abandon this outcome to you. God, you know the child struggles that I have right now and my grandparents struggle. Abandon that outcome to you. Say that several times, just over and over. here for just a moment because the bigger the threat you're encountering right now the harder this is to do when I started doing this I was waking up at three in the morning I was having nightmares I was uh there's some situations that were just terrorizing me so you might be thinking well of course Carl's talking about Shalom today he's been on a sabbatical for a year I mean he's done nothing but sit in a lazy river of peace and so here he is coming back giving it all to us today but again wasn't my norm because when you get still is when your mind and your emotions start going crazy that's why the second you pray you think of everything you should do something you want to look up on your phone like that everything but stillness happens inside of you so all I wanted to do was to get active be busy and bury it because it was hurting too much to deal with it and so when I started learning to practice indifference it was like I was saying Lord in the midst of this I'm going to allow this radar detector to attune to you above everything else. And God, I'm, not, I'm not great at it, but I'm better than I was. I just, sometimes I did it one time a day, sometimes five times, sometimes 20 times, just kept saying, Lord, I just abandoned this outcome to you. I didn't be talking to people. They wouldn't notice it, but my palms would just go like this. I don't know this conversation's gonna go. I just abandoned the outcome to you. And God began to just kind of shift something. And maybe that why by this week, we all just need to have, be palm open people. We're just walking around, we're talking to people going, of course, if you do it to someone that was in the service, you're gonna be like, oh crud, this isn't going too well, is it? You know, you're gonna, you're gonna notice it. But as we close, I'd like to do one more practice that, and specifically I'd like to address everyone in the room who's 40 years old or older. Because it's really interesting to note if you've done the study of Gideon, he was this close to finishing well. I mean, he shrunk his already outnumbered army down to 300. And then instead of giving them bombs and grenades, he gave them a jar and a torch and a trumpet. And they walked out with their lives on the line and said, we abandoned the outcome to you and met God in a way that changed all their lives. And then they come to Gideon and say, be our king, be our king. And he's like, why would I do that? I'm not your Messiah, he is, go to him. God is your king. He abandons the outcome. He's like, I'm going to give my my, my promotion moment. I'm going to step away from it. Beautiful. But the problem is one day he comes along and he's like, but I tell you what, I will take your gold. And he takes the gold. He turns it into this thing that ends up being an idol that they all start worshiping. And we're right back to where we were at the very beginning. And as I read this, just compassion welled up at me for Gideon. Because I think as the older we get, we get a little bit more tired. If you're 40 plus in the room, how many sermons have you heard in your life? How many sermons on peace have you heard in your life? 
you've, you've got all this down and there's no tip I'm going to give you that you probably haven't heard or that, you know, is just going to make you feel better just like that. But I think the older we get, there can be this tension that weighs on us and we find our identity in what we do or what we're no longer doing. What we have or what we thought we'd have and we don't have at this point. Or what others are saying about us or what they're no longer saying about us. And it just wears. And the older you get, sometimes it feels like life takes more from you. So I think that we're gonna have to practice indifference maybe more than anyone else. And come back to that place of being still and abandoning the outcome to God and saying, God, the pain seems to get greater, but I just abandon the outcome to you. Lord, I have no idea where this country's headed. I abandon the outcome to you. And I don't know where where young people today, what they're thinking. I just abandon the outcome to you. See, if we don't start doing that and meeting God at the soul level, I'm afraid what's gonna happen is we're gonna turn into frustrated people. We're gonna start blaming everybody. We're gonna be ticked off internally. We're gonna miss the abundant life God has for us here. And I'm not saying don't care about anything. Get engaged, have some righteous anger, some conviction, some passion, and jump in. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's gotta be something where we pull back and say, God, I've heard about you in years gone by, but I'm 47 or 57 or 67 or 77. I gotta know you again today. I have to have you down here at this level. So how do we do that? Something for all of us. Like I said, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in you and in your hearts. It's connected to verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So for ministry time today, what I'd like to do is introduce us to a practice called Lectio Divina, Lectio Divina, maybe you've heard it before. It just means divine reading. And what we're gonna do is we're going to take a scripture, we're just gonna read it about three or four times. And we're gonna, it's gonna be Psalm 4610. And I just would do this every single day, uh, just saying, because my prayer was originally just, Lord, would you make me feel better today? Not a bad prayer. But it started to shift to God, I want you to be with me today. And this helped me. It helped me just to still myself and, and just be quiet before him. And so I'd like to invite you again to just close your eyes. And I'm gonna read this entire verse over you. And I want you to see if one word or one phrase sticks out to you. And just grab onto that one word or one phrase, whatever it is, okay? Just hold on to it. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now just think about one word or one phrase and just meditate on that in your mind. Just let it play over and over in your head. You're gonna sit here for a minute. Might feel awkward, but just stay focused. And I just want you to just think, is there, be aware of what emotions you're feeling, have been feeling, what a situation that maybe you're in that this word or phrase might need to apply to. And 
just be in this moment. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Whatever that word or phrase that maybe you have now, you just kind of bring it to your emotions. Bring it to that situation that you're thinking about. Maybe the one you were holding earlier in your hands. And just pray that to the Lord. Just be here for a moment as you pray it to God. might start drifting. That's very normal. You might want to just check something on your phone. That's very normal. But just pause. Don't, don't do it. Just be still. And engage with the Lord. time and, and be looking, what's an invitation from Scripture for you? See if you see an invitation from God as, as you hear, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If you see an invitation from God there, so just thank God for it. Pray it back to him. If not, just pour your heart out to heaven here in these final moments. I just want to encourage you just to carry that word or phrase with you all day long. Sometimes I'll even just think of somebody else and I'll pray that it'll be my intercession throughout the day. Again, it won't be perfect, but it'll be a start. You can do the same thing tomorrow. Find a verse, find a chapter, find a passage, and just let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so the peace of Christ can rule in your heart. So you attune your heart to God and to his presence and can be the non-anxious presence into every atmosphere you step into. Something that you can't force to happen, but Jehovah Shalom can. And so as we end, I want to invite you to stand and I want to pray together. I'm going to sing a brief chorus here. But just open your hands to the Lord. And Lord, we stand here today a grateful people, but a people who also realize that stress and anxiety are going to come at us this week. And so we're asking for grace, Lord, to be still and abandon the outcomes to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly to attune to you and not our surroundings. And, and maybe there's someone out there today that they don't have true inner peace because they've never given their life over to Jesus. And today would be the day where they'd say, Jesus, come into my life. 
I need your peace. I need your forgiveness. As the Son of God, I ask you in my life, I'm going to follow you forever. And I pray, Lord, that for all of us in this room right now, we would be able to simply say, you are the Lord, our peace. Let's sing this together. people said. Amen. Man, I'm just so thankful for James. I wish he could just follow all of you around this week and just play this song wherever you go. I actually thought about just having you like be real chaotic so we could practice peace, but I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Just want to enjoy what you got. <laughs> that's not chaos. That's joy. That's something different. We need some of that too. Well, if you're a guest, we're so grateful that you came to be with us today. We hope you'll stop over by the Connect Center so we can say hello to you at the conclusion of this service. But we do want to bring this uh, time to a close. And so grateful that you were here. We bless you to go throughout this week without fear in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.